The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Well, today we are going to be talking about NFTs. They are a subject of endless controversy on the internet, and we have with us today um, someone really poised to talk about it, one of, um, I think, the most creative entrepreneurs and investors out there, and um, this is going to be a thrill, and I've been waiting to get him on the show since we started, but finally he's here. Jason Stein, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm not sure I'm I'm well poised to talk about NFTs, but I <laughs> Wait, come on, you're you're already slagging the show and we're about to get started. <laughs> that makes me as well poised as anyone talks about true. NFTs. <laughs> well, I, it's a great starting. It really is a great starting point. So I think we should also introduce folks how how you and I met because I think it's a good backdrop for um, what's going to be another experimental area of technology. So I actually have the article back here in 2013, I was writing about potential business models for Twitter and the Associated Press started uh, having its ads team sell sponsored tweets that it would write and post on its Twitter account. And I called you up, um, you know, you were, you were uh, working uh, with your own social, you started your own social media agency. And I was like, Jason, what is this all about? And the headline ended up being why the AP selling its own sponsored tweets is good for Twitter. And, uh, you know, I think that like back in the day, we were all trying to figure out like what social media was about, whether it was a return on investment there. Um, you were bullish. You're very bullish from the beginning. And I was a little bit, you know, it took me a little bit longer to come on board to that idea. And so here we are now talking about another experimental technology, but you did, you didn't know where, where the ball was going there. Look, there's a lot of similarities from, today in web three and social media, which I guess was mm, peak web two uh, from, from back in the early 2010s. And one of the biggest uh, common themes is skepticism, of course, but that's the case with any new technological um, platform advancement, large scale, evolution or shift on the way people use the internet and you can go back and find the same skeptical headlines from every era right apple Mm -hmm. social media.com and in many cases the skepticism is warranted because with any new paradigm and, and technology there's a lot of failures along the way and a lot of people lose money including consumers more than, than professional investors who are more diversified in their investments where they can afford to lose some. But to be clear, my, my investment business doesn't do a lot of web three mm-hmm. investing. Yeah. It's a little too early stage and speculative for our strategies. I, I but I, I personally an investor and collector of, of crypto and NFTs respectively. And, I think as as the space matures, it's it's something we will be more and more invested in. Yeah, and the reason why we got started talking about this stuff, I can share the story. Is I was giving this uh, talk to a Columbia Business School class just about tech. I tend to visit them frequently, and I was a little too provocative, I think. Than you know, and in one of these conversations, and I called NFTs um, business QAnon, and you know, I don't think it's really parallel. But I did think that there, and I, I still believe that there were people that were deluding themselves in some of these NFT schemes. And so what happened was, let me know if we have to edit this out, but one of the people from the class was in your office, you know, talking about how this guy came in uh, and, you know, said all these things about NFTs. And then next thing I know, I get a FaceTime from you being like, Alex, you got to think differently about this. 
He's one <laughs> of so our here NBA we are. Interns. I was like, let's have this on on the on the pod. Sorry, go ahead. Totally, yeah. So so he was one of he of our M- MBA interns last semester, and that's that's exactly what happened. And look, I I like I said, I think you're right in that there are a lot of schemes and a lot of people will lose money in their NFT investments. But I don't think that's different than investing in, in startups broadly, right? Like they're speculative investments where you're betting on an idea and on entrepreneurs and a roadmap and a vision. And by, by you know, it's very nature. That's exactly what NFTs are. And buying an, buying an NFT just because it looks cool without understanding what is the utility of it, who is the team behind it, what is the roadmap for it, and um, and and what is your view on what makes NFT successful more broadly, right? Without all of that, you're throwing darts, and there's a high likelihood you're going to lose money. So I think you're right, but, I, but, it, but it is hilarious that this MBA intern came in and said, this guy came to our office, we're all, you know, to our school and spoke, and we're all, you know, big believers in crypto and Web3. And he was just shitting on it the whole time. <laughs> Does anyone know this guy, Kantrowitz? Has anyone heard of him? <laughs> and You're a couple like, of oh. us looked, looked up and smiled. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh God, we got to give this guy a dose of reality. So, but I'm glad we're doing it. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're talking about it. You know, I, I think it's clear. I'm skeptical that this thing is going to work um, and that there's going to be real returns to it. Um, however, my mind is open, just like it was with the social media stuff. I have an open mind here, and I want to hear from the people that believe in it because I don't want to miss it if if it's you know true. And I, I also think that like you're right with any early stage technology, it's pretty easy to be skeptical, and you know you're going to be right most of the time if you're skeptical. So, um, but but you're going to be right like, if you're skeptical. If you're you skeptical most of the time, you're going to be right. Most startups don't work. I disagree. Out. Go ahead. I just. Don't well, I think if you're skeptical, yeah. I, I think if you're skeptical most of the time, you you end up being wrong in the long run. Well, I would say on an app, you're skeptical about social media, right? I think less so than less so than you believe. I, I think that that I was mostly interested in bullish in social media because I actually saw real returns, re- real uh, like a real communities forming, real uh, real momentum with social media. I saw the power but there of are, Facebook. But that's exactly what's happening yeah. in, in Web3. There, there, there right. are real communities forming. And it's, it's in many ways the evolution of community from social media and Web2, which was mm-hmm. essentially happening, happening in public for everyone to watch, to more focused communities that are, are based very much around specific interests or uh, NFTs or... Um, sectors of nfts whether that's art or you know profile pictures um, access and membership based nfts around restaurants and clubs or anything in between uh you know gaming and, and all the technology uses so look i just think it's a more focused more private version of of web2 communities where people are a little more aligned with with the incentives right everyone in a community around an nft is usually invested in that NFT, right? So all of, everyone has the same incentive, which is for that NFT to be successful and to help each other. Whereas on social media, there's there's no alignment of incentives amongst people, other than to potentially tear each other yeah, apart each other. 24/7 That's to right. get more to get more engagement, I, I, right? So yeah, I don't know. As someone who was in social media early and saw all the merits of it, and now has seen all the pros and cons of it, I th- I think any attempt at a healthier approach to community and, and discourse is is exciting to me okay so but, but back to your point on being skeptical no, i mean no, any <laughs> big technological advancement that you're that, right. that people have been skeptical of i think you might be short-term correct about one specific nft or one specific app on an iphone or one specific social media platform right there there have been many that tried that that failed but broadly, if you're saying a sector or a space or most importantly, a technological use case is is going to fail, I think you end up being wrong more often than not. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. On, on a case-by-case basis, basis, you'll be right. On a company-by-company, company, you'll be right more often than you're wrong. But on, on bigger trends, you'll be, you'll be wrong more often than you're right. 
No, I'm saying the opposite. No, I'm saying, well, company by company, more often you're, you're right if you're skeptical. Trends you will miss if you're skeptical. Right. I think we're in agreement. Correct. Here. Correct. Correct. Yes. Same thing. Yep. Can you unpack some of the things that you've been talking about, um, roadmaps and, you know, for, for a lot of folks, NFTs are just like, you know, these monkey images that you pay all your money for and, you know, you have a URL that points to them, but you've talked a couple of times about roadmaps and communities, which is another side of NFTs that I don't think, you know, people spend a lot of time thinking about at least those outside the space. So why are those so important? Why is that more interesting to you than the art? If it is, because I don't know. It seems like the art's kind of ugly oftentimes. So, but like, let's hear a little bit more about like the stuff underneath the surface. And I think that that's actually what makes you believe in this space more than, you know, the art itself. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. And then also just like the definition of web two versus web three, because we oftentimes like get into this discussion and, you know, use those terms, but it's kind of tough to, everyone has their own definition. So I'd like to hear yours. So let's start with, the idea that that you just brought up, which is everyone thinks NFTs are just these monkey profile pictures, right? And really what you're referring to is is Board Ape Yacht Club, Mutant Ape Yacht Club, and and the ecosystem within that, right? Yuga Labs, right? That's correct. Is that what you're talking about? But yeah, but a lot of of, um, NFT art is sort of like cheap ripoffs of the ape stuff too. Sure, sure. And that, or it's like you can get the McDonald's Whopper NFT, which is like the, an ad for a whopper spinning and some jiff. I don't understand that. But let's start yeah. with defend the, the art, Jason. Around... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, well, I, yeah. actually, I just want to point out a, a misunderstanding. It, so, Yuga Labs, which makes Board Ape Yacht Club and and all of the other sort of sister um, related N- NFTs in there, mm-hmm. it, w- which full disclosure, I'm you know I, I own an N- an NFT, uh, a mutant ape, and and some of the um, the land they just released last week, which is a whole other controversy. But look at the deck for Yuga Labs for the fundraise they just completed, which was a, a, a big raise. I don't remember. I'll look it up. But the entire concept for the company is predicated on building a an interactive video game in which people... Uh, play as their own NFT. It could be a, one of the Yuga Labs NFTs. It could be any other NFT they own. And it's effectively a, a world where 10,000 people can can um, play in at once. So it's it's Fortnite uh, at a much larger scale. Fortnite, 100 people play at it at any given time, right? In any one, one game, there's multiple games going on at once, of course. But in this case, they're saying everyone enters and they, they have some version of Fortnite meets Roblox where you are your own nft and, and enter and play and so in, in in that case you're saying these these monkey profile pictures but really what they're trying to build and, and we can debate whether it's it's how plausible it is and what the probability of success is but they are trying to build a a modern platform right the metaverse as everyone is, is referring to and in the deck they take a lot of shots at at facebook's point of view on the metaverse and, and they say Nobody wants to, to to spend their time in a 3D version of LinkedIn, right? Which is, I, I think, is funny and and true, but, but also, you know, in, in the business world, you know, there there'll, there'll be applications. But the point is, a you have to actually understand what you're investing in, understand what the roadmap is, and in this case, I'd encourage people who are skeptical of Board Ape, Mutant Ape, and and others like it. Um, gutter cats, gutter dogs, etc., to actually understand the roadmaps and, and the vision and then decide if you think that vision is achievable based on the people who work at the company, based on the idea, whether it's something consumers would like, and if it could be a good business. And in this case, if they're even 50% as successful as the deck suggests they will be, it's a very, very, very successful gaming company, right? It's it's the next Epic Games if, if they're successful. So uh, you can't just say art, right? If, if it's if if you look at a, an NFT and it looks cool, and the entire economy around it is based on hype and supply and demand of something that looks cool, I'd be very hesitant to buy that NFT. 
not saying that it will be unsuccessful, but it's just like buying art from an early unknown artist. You might find the next Basquiat, right? But 99 out of 100, you're going to have something that's not worth a lot at, at the end of the day. You're just, you're, you're picking art. And you're picking it off the street corner as opposed to going into a high-end gallery, right? That That's sort of what, what OpenSea is open to everyone. But if there's a use case and a utility that goes beyond just owning art and a profile picture, I think it gets very exciting. To me, it's a very interesting way to create a consumer brand today where you're allowing people who believe in the concept, the idea, the point of view, the aesthetics, the values of that brand to effectively buy in at a very early stage by owning an NFT. It's very similar to owning equity in a company. And if that NFT and that platform and that idea are successful, the value of your NFT is going to go up. So those people become your biggest advocates. They become your community. Spend time in Discord and, and watch what the community talks about. Look at the suggestions they're making to the founders of that NFT and the operators and, and whether those operators are receptive and, and quick to iterate on it. And you learn a lot. It's basically like being in the slack of a company that you've invested in and seeing it operate in real time. Right. And so this is like one example of the like imag- imagine yeah. you could you could invest. Imagine you could invest you were an investor in in Facebook before it IPO'd and you had access to all of its biggest users, all of its biggest advocates, and its operating team and its founding team and Mark Zuckerberg. And they were interacting with people, giving feedback on where the, the community should go, where the product should go. You would learn a lot about whether that would make for a good company, for a good investment and and what you thought about its future, right? But don't don't you think that Facebook was able to succeed not because of like listening to feedback? Like let's take the newsfeed, for example, right? That was hated by all the enthusiasts of Facebook. It was but it was the company's decision to press forward with the newsfeed despite the negative feedback, despite the community that allowed it to be as successful as it is. So I'm curious, like this is goes to the fact that like, you know, a lot of uh companies that um sell NFTs, uh you know, we'll have this community type uh, decision-making apparatus like DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. It sounds good in principle, but don't you think that like some of the best technology companies in the world got that way because of a vision of the founder, at least in the early days, um, and and someone that would would make decisions and press forward with a plan, no matter you know how angry a community might might have been about it. Yes, and. I would say that Facebook actually was listening to its its community at the largest scale, and that's what made it successful, right? It had data on how people were using the newsfeed, right? And it was updating the newsfeed based on user engagement to give people what they what Facebook thought they wanted, right? Or and what they actually were were clicking on. I think in the case of that that we're talking about for NFTs, the First of all, just because the community suggests something doesn't mean that it, it has to be adhered to, right? But it, it, it's a data point. And those people are free to sell and, and you know, make money or lose money at, at any given time. But of course, I, I agree with you that some autonomy from a founder is, is mission critical. And I also think that hearing the community and its biggest advocates engage and interact is very important. But one thing that's really critical to understand here is all of the community members who own an NFT want the same thing, which is the value of that NFT to increase, right? And so the alignment amongst them and the founders is is the same, right? Whereas the majority of users of social media don't necessarily own stock and have a, a financial advantage, you know, a financial incentive from the beginning of that platform's release to speak in the best interest of that platform success. But that gets to sort of another contradiction that we've brought up on on the show in the past when Aaron Levy was here, which is that the interests of investors and the interests of users are actually going to be in conflict oftentimes. An investor wants to get the most money out of a, out of a product. A user might want to, you know, play for free or for, you know, or, 
have experiences that aren't going to try to milk the asset and get them to part with as much money as possible. So how does that balance actually come into play when we have like the NFT holders influencing the decision? Because it's a completely different incentive structure than someone who's just coming and using it without equity in a, in a product. Well, wouldn't you argue that that's the problem with Web 2.0 more than Web 3.0? Where a lot that. of the... And I'm still a waiting lot for of the, the decision too, the, the definition. A lot of the <laughs> challenges that exist today with social media and with with Twitter, which is is maybe the most relevant current example, for investors as a public company, Twitter has always said the best thing they can do is increase engagement to increase ad revenue, right? And many decisions that it was making to increase engagement was actually fairly unhealthy for many users of the platform, potentially unhealthy for society, right? Agreed. And Jack has, has, op- Jack has openly come out and, and said that, right? Yes, sir. That a lot of those decisions were, were driven by, by the wrong things. And I think if they were only making decisions for what was going to be best for, um, for the users, they would have acted very differently. And so I think the hope, right, for, for Web3 is that from the very, very beginning, with everyone aligned, you would make some of these decisions together and, and set forth the plan for the company, right? Where, where it wasn't driven by just one or two investors who sat on a board, right? And this is, this is an interesting topic for me to discuss as someone who does that for, for a living, right? You know, sit, invest in companies, you and sit, sit, sit yeah. on boards, right? It, it, it could certainly make you obsolete if you didn't embrace these trends or, or believe in the, the merits of, of, of Web3. Right. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to the extremes and say you know it's going to make make any investors obsolete. And there's many non technological um, sort of sectors where where this is fairly irrelevant, at least today. But in, in short, I, I I agree with you that that there is a conflict, potentially a healthy one, between the founders of Web three companies and the community that that will have to be hashed out. But this is why it's so important to understand the roadmap at the beginning to actually go and read the contract that you get when you buy an NFT to go in and, and go onto the website and see how much the, the, the founders have disclosed about where they want to take this business. A lot of it is very, very clear in, in the NFTs and Web3 companies that I find compelling. Yeah. I also don't think we should enter Web3 sort of doe-eyed Right. Mm -hmm. And thinking this is all going to be great. This is all awesome. It's all going to work out perfectly. This solves all the problems in the world and and web 2.0. Because as we've seen from social media, as as amazing as we thought it was in the early days, there was so much that we could not have even contemplated. Right. If, if social media was as successful as the biggest bull thought it would be in 2012, what will be the implications on? the entire world on the political uh, ecosystem in America on the relationship between people in America on different sides of the political spectrum. Right. Instead of being skeptical, I think it's more, more productive to say, if this works out, what should we be thinking about? What should we be prepared for? Right. Because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's gone. Okay, on to the next one, right? But if if Web three is as successful as people think it could be, what are the implications of that? What needs to change in the world? How do governments need to be prepared? How do financial institutions need to be prepared? How do consumers need to be prepared? That's what's exciting to me about this topic, more so than will this work or not? Because I think the probability of of cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and and Web3 based businesses and, and technologies going to zero. I think the probability of that has, has, is, is a low number. It's not non zero, but there's so much money in it now 
and so many users active in Web3 and so many corporations betting on Web3 and putting a lot of money into it that it's hard to see a scenario where it's not a relevant platform. I'm not saying it replaces Web2 entirely. I'm not saying it's the only way people use money. I'm not saying it's the only way people interact with brands. I'm saying it is a piece of a consumer and business and technological ecosystem. And can we just say, just to just set the... um, set the definition. So web two is sort of like uh, technology that's built, you know, and you know, users can participate, but it's owned by central entities. Web three is more decentralized built on the blockchain. Does that sound right to you? Okay. With com- more community ownership. Right. All right. Sorry. I think the biggest thing or one of the big things I think about within that is that in web three, you can basically sell any asset you have. Whereas in web web two, you can't really sell anything. You can buy things. Right. And let me just give you an example. Mm-hmm. Fortnite, incredible innovation and, and high, very popular game. My son loves it. He plays it. I play it with him last December. He's, you know, for, for Hanukkah, he told me he wanted V-Bucks, which is the currency in Fortnite that allows you to buy a, a tire for your character to play it. It's the, it's the only way that the game makes money. It's a free game. And you wear this attire and it doesn't give you any powers. It's just, it's just like wearing clothes, right? It makes you look cool. And so you meet your friends in the game and you have your different outfits on and, um, it's it's a vanity uh, component, but no different than where you know how you decide what you wear in, in the real world when you're seeing your friends. Except that you can't when when you buy the clothes, you don't own them. You can't resell them. There's not a marketplace for them if you wanted to resell them. And so, I, you know, one night we said, okay, it's digital products night for for Hanukkah, and he goes and he he buys the <laughs> the Christmas Spider Man <laughs> out, outfit. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was cool, and, and he wore it for a few days, and then we went away um, over December break. We came back in in January, and, and he, I guess he spent like forty bucks on on the outfit. And you know, it's it's January third or fourth, and he goes, "Dad, Dad, uh, could you get me a new outfit for Fortnite? So I, I, some new skins." I was like, you just spent $40 on, on your Spider-Man. And he was like, yeah, but it's Christmas theme and Christmas is over. It's, it's, it's the new year now. Like I can't meet my friends wearing Christmas clothes. And in that moment, I realized like, well, it would be cool if he could sell that Mm -hmm. skin right to, to back into the marketplace or he could hold it. And it was limited edition and and sell it and wear it again in a year and be have a retro or sell it ahead of Christmas next year. I'm not even sure what the license is, you know, on, you know, for some of these sort of IP based uh, costumes like Star Wars that they have in Fortnite. Uh, and if, if it'll be around to even wear your, uh, even though you bought it next Christmas. And so, so the concept would be if this were built on Web3 and, and, um, if you owned a limited edition number of, of those skins, you could then go back and sell it at any time to any other Fortnite player. Right. And, and to me, that's just a microcosm of what you would hope uh, get, gets addressed in web three. Isn't that a design choice that Fortnite makes versus like the need to have like a new technology? Like can't Fortnite just say, okay, we're going to build a marketplace for these skins versus like with web three. So you basically have to build a video game as good as Fortnite that, you know, your son would want to hang out when, with his friends. And, you know, of course, it would have this added commerce capability. But can't Fortnite simply solve that just by building a marketplace? I think people who are the biggest proponents of Web3 solve and, and believe that Web3 is a better technological solution to mm-hmm. that marketplace. Because you yep. understand exactly how many 
versions of any specific skin were made, any how many of them were made, how many have been purchased, what is the value of each of them, what are they trading for, what is the floor, what is the volume. In, in a marketplace that you're describing, you have no idea how many of those skins were ever created, how many have been sold, what they've been sold for. And there's no um, open, decentralized place to transact with other people in it. Right. right. And, 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 and so, yes, sure, could, could they create some version of eBay within Fortnite to, to buy and sell them? Absolutely. I think the question for technologists is, is Web3 the best platform to build that on today? Jason Stein is with us. He's the founder and managing partner of SC Holdings. We're talking NFTs. We're going to keep doing it after the break. I've got some more questions. Um, maybe we can also talk a little bit about the market downturn, um, given that this is all being impacted. I was about, I was about to say the we're, we're talking about a highly volatile, highly speculative asset yeah. class on a day where the market <laughs> is absolutely getting crushed after a week right. of getting crushed and the the probability of a recession has continued to increase by the minute today so we, we, i think it is worth talking about okay why don't we do that when we come back from this break we'll be back with jason stein right after this the linkedin podcast network is sponsored by tiaa In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Jason Stein, founder and managing partner at SC Holdings. You can find him on Twitter at Jason W. Stein. I recommend the follow. Jason's been uh, one of the most important voices that I've listened to as I've gotten to learn about technology and he always seems to be ahead of the curve um with, I, with I don't, anything new i wouldn't recommend the follow i don't i barely tweet anymore i used to are you just you're just waiting for you're just waiting for uh web3 social media to come in so you can return and <laughs> are you going to go back with when when elon when elon uh buys twitter what, what's uh what made you decide to stay away and um and and when can you go back how do well, i thought about also, that yeah go ahead Go ahead. No, what are you saying? Well, if people, I'm, I'm, I guess, like I'm trying to shout out where people could follow your stuff. Or is it just going to be this, uh, this one, this one show, and we'll, we'll just, you know, drop it here? Or do you have a place where you like to communicate with the masses? Um, <laughs> people, I'm people glad can, if it's this one show. Let's put your your knowledge into this thing, and oh, they can reach if someone yeah. wants to communicate, reach, speak to yeah. me. They can reach, they can reach out however they want, Twitter, email, okay. yeah. or whatever. You know, I, I. One of the reasons I stopped, there's a few reasons I stopped tweeting a lot, right? One is just it's time consuming and I, and I work 24 seven and I have three young kids and, and one of the things to not spend time on for me to, to make more room for those was, was tweeting a lot. The other, maybe more importantly is if, if you're going to tweet, you're, you're usually doing it because you want to have a following and, and there's a business use case for it. And there, if you have a big following, there's obviously a ton of advantages to tweeting a lot and, and having a big following. 
right? Gary Vaynerchuk's a great example of that, right? But there, there's many, 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 right? My, my issue was in order to be very successful on Twitter is you have to have fairly extreme points of view to get the most engagement, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily matter what, what that point of view is because the internet seems to be 50, 50 on, on every topic. Right. And, and so you, you take an extreme point of view, you get a lot of engagement, you get a lot of negativity, you get a lot of support. Um, and I, I found that, and this is, you know, going back a few years now, I found that I was forcing myself to take a strong point of view on, on topics to get more engagement. And it was actually, it, it shapes your view on things, right? You get yourself worked up to think you believe something and then you have to support it and then you have to fight with people and there's no nuance. And, and most, most big business, business issues are, are not binary. Right. It, and, and not, um, not as simple and as that. And I think it's important to be open-minded and understand both sides and be able to argue both sides and be prepared for both sides. Right. Like when I say is, is, you know, our NFTs going to zero or it's like, I think the probability is low that they go to zero. Is it possible? Yes. And, and so as someone who thinks in probabilities and thinks in bets for, for as an investor, it's just, I, I find, Twitter it became it was incentivizing incentivizing um, behavior that was a little too extreme for for me to feel to feel comfortable. Yeah, this is why I love the podcast. You know, so uh, like totally. I just I just tweeted. Uh, well, well, that's the last time I put my life savings into a monkey JPEG, and that's my like Twitter you know point of view. Yeah, but actually, that is pure trolling. Exactly. Okay. Give me a I'm just saying that. Like, no, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm trying to say I much more appreciate. This is why I think that like publishing media that is you know subscription um, and and has room for nuances is a platform. So for me, you know, in terms of the type of media I enjoy being in, podcast. A, you know, newsletter B, you know, and then Facebook, Twitter, you know, f- way distant. Um, after that, I just think that this is a place where you can actually go to to make progress versus a place like Twitter, which you're right. It does incentivize these extreme outcomes. I think social media is relevant for, for businesses. I think it's for, for celebrities, for professional athletes, right? Who, who people mm-hmm. want to follow and, and have some sort of, know deeper relationship with where sure then you need to speak to people at scale right and people who aspire to that so i i think i spend time on it consuming to to some regard but i'm not sure it doesn't mean everyone needs to to be a prolific uh poster on social media i I got excited when twitter announced that they last week that they might be they might add a feature um where you can pick up to 175 people to see your tweets and only those people that exists now tweets. it's called circles no well oh, is, is that is that the name yeah, of the, the feature the product but yeah. it's, it's not it's not in my account i don't right i don't have access to it um even though i pay for twitter blue to get access to new features on twitter uh mostly just so i can change the design of the icon on my home screen yeah um which I actually enjoy. I don't know if it's me too. That's whatever. that's the one thing I enjoyed with Twitter Blue before I canceled it. I did like the icon thing. <laughs> I, I like it too. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll be happy to know that there is no new seasonal icon right now. I don't know if that's Elon yeah. um, cut, cutting unnecessary design. You have time to imagine. No, everybody. I'm sure gave up. You know, inside Twitter, they're not going to do any work from now until that deal closes. I wouldn't. I, I mean, I can't. You can't generalize. I don't. Yeah. Maybe some people. I'm sure. I hope there's some yeah. people who are inspired by by Elon getting involved. Well, of course, no, there can be people that will work for him, but like he's going to change the product in a way that like your roadmap on, you know, and from now until the deal closes is somewhat obsolete. Wouldn't you say? I personally, if I was in that company, would not be doing it. Depends what you work, depends what you're working on there. Right. Right. Product. No, I'm not doing anything. Ad sales. Yeah. I'm selling those ads. Well, what if you work on Twitter blue? Well, you don't know what he's, he's, Elon's already said that he doesn't like the direction of Twitter blue. He's. He also said that, that now he wants to change it. So maybe you come up with it, new right? ideas. Um, but I would be hesitant to, to crush myself to ship in that product. Totally. So 
we talk about the market downturn. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, I'm kind of curious what your perspective is. Um, Yeah. Why don't you tell me your perspective? And then I'm going to ask you some questions about NFTs and and context of the market crashing. I mean, it's brutal out there right now. Yes. This is what was supposed to happen when the government raised interest rates in order to slow down the economic growth. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's not pretend that we woke up one day and all of a sudden some unknown force was causing this insane market crash, like in in the 1920s, right? 1930s. And instead, you know, at least realize that this is exactly what was intended, right? To slow down the economy. Multiples were very high in public and private markets. And that was caused by the government as well, right? Yes. Interest rates were slashed to zero, right? A lot of of buying of assets as well by the government. Tons of liquidity. And they need to slow that down. So maybe it's working. Maybe now's a good time to buy. Who knows where the bottom is? I'm not going to guess. Might be here. You know, might be 10, 15% down is what a lot of sort of the more bearish um, market analysts are Further 10 10 to 15%. Yeah. Well, it's amazing because the S&P has already dropped like 15% on the year. So down 20%. It's possible. Yes. But, but I mean, where would that be relative to where? Pre-COVID? The S&P. Will, yes. Yeah. Just basically a full correction to like normal 6, 6% growth. Many people believed prior to COVID that the markets were already too high, right? They had run up for mm-hmm. 10 years, right? 12 years since the last recession. From, right. From, um, right. So maybe that's where things should restart. And, and by the way, I, I think if, you know, I don't even think you're actually hitting, if the, if the S&P got down to 3,500, I don't, I don't actually think that was the peak prior to COVID. I think it no, was February 2020 was 3,300. Right. So, so you're not, still you're not way even above. all the way there. Right. Yeah. So, so may, maybe this is, is healthy. But what's interesting to me is that the, the problem being created was, or the, the problem that's trying to be solved is too much demand in the economy. Right. And, and so inflation caused by not enough supply to meet demand is too high. Prices are going up to meet demand. And so, so they're the government, the fed are is, is specifically is trying to slow down demand. I would like to understand what measures can be taken at the same time to increase supply, because it seems like that would also be a healthy approach to solving this problem. In, in tandem, right? Supply, what, like what, fix the supply chain. Yeah. What what could be done to to help loosen up the 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 supply chain? Yeah. So that helps. prices don't have to be so high, and that that consumer demands could be met. And what's the solution? This is above my pay, pay grade. It's yeah. not. I'm not. I don't. This is not what I do for a living. I, I invest <laughs> in in uh, you know we we make private equity and growth equity investments. Uh, and we can talk about what we're seeing on on the private side relative to, to the public markets, but I don't know. I think that that's the question. That that's what I would like to understand better. Do, do yeah. does does Biden and and the government reduce tariffs, right? So that at least for a time being, while while prices go up and costs go up to make more product and get more supply into the country, there there's lower tariffs being paid. So that costs aren't passed on to the consumer, so that inflation yeah. is isn't as high, right? We also have so much of our economy tied up in China, and China right now is really struggling with COVID, and it seems like that's going to be the case for a while. So we have to anticipate there are going to be serious shutdowns there for sure. a country that really hasn't gone through a wave of COVID yet. A hundred percent, and and of course there there's the war in in Ukraine, no doubt. But those are not things we can necessarily control as it relates to economic 
measures to help fight inflation, right? Right. It, those are going to happen, and they are happening. And and so what my the question I have are what are what are ways to improve supply while reducing demand so that the measures don't have to go so far. And and I'm not again. This is right. Not my day job, but it, it's a it's an interesting question to to think about. Like a lot of demand isn't the worst thing in the world, right? Not enough supplies is is the actual root the issue. Yeah. Well, shout out to anybody listening in the government who might have a solution to that. Come on, we we should talk about it. Um, so, Jason, I want to ask you again: supply and demand, right? Zero interest rate policy also created a demand for much more risky assets. When you just couldn't make money on cash, you were going to move your money into places like equities and, um, and I think crypto. And we also had a, a moment where, I mean, this is from the wall street journal story about NFTs, um, last week where they said that the daily average of NFTs being transacted, uh, last week was 19,000 per day. That's a 92% decline from the peak of 225,000 in September last year. So where do, where do you um do you, do you think that like some of the market for NFTs has also been fueled by sort of speculative investing that basically came from zero interest rate policy and a desire for people to find riskier bets and that's sort of where they landed. Now the Fed has um you know signaled it's going to increase rates and started to increase rates and you have a flood away from that. So I'm curious if you think that's related and and what are the implications for NFTs? I have no idea to, is is the answer to those questions, but but okay. what what I will say is people have been seeking out speculative assets that give you outsized returns forever, right? From the gold rush to the dot com era to Web three today to public equities that were trading at you know outrageous valuations, right? Peloton, Shopify is, is you know was at fifteen hundred. It's it's under five hundred today. Down it's Coin down seventy percent on the year. Shopify. Coinbase similar, right? It's now trading at seven, six, I think six and a half times earnings last time I looked. I mean, if you believe in crypto, right, long term, owning Coinbase at six and a half times earnings is pretty fucking compelling, right? But you could also say that about buying buying crypto. And and so my my point is, of course, people were looking for speculative assets. And of course, sitting home during COVID and having a little extra cash may have impacted that and low interest rates uh, may have impacted that, not just for NFTs, but for the meme stocks and, and for any other stocks. You know, the the private markets where I spend you know 98% of my time have been less, slightly less impacted by that because there's not as many retail investors playing there, right? Um, I think maybe that, that NFTs and crypto became that for, you know, the equivalent of the private markets for, for a, a lot of the retail investors. And those markets have not been hit as much yet by this, this correction. Early stage venture typically doesn't really get impacted a lot by this. It's a 10 year bet, maybe 15 year, depending on what you invest in, when it IPOs or exits. Um, we don't, we don't all, we also don't make early stage venture investments. We're sort of middle stage between venture and, and, and exit. And those companies haven't really been hit. We also haven't seen companies that are feeling the pain of the consumer yet, right? Most of the companies are, are continuing to grow that we're invested in. And, um, I'm, I'm curious if, and when that that starts to slow down, but, but to date the demand and, and spending is, is pretty high across the board at all of our companies. And, and so I try to use that as a gauge for, are things going to slow down? Or are they going to pick up? Is, is this sort of all, um, a lot of, a lot of talk and not as much data. And my hope is that the markets have had a healthy correction. Facebook trading at 12 times earnings, Blackstone trading at 11 times, paying a 4% dividend, right? Those are names I own. Um, but then there's also companies that, that you know, potentially have, have a long way down. And I think just like NFTs, just like private companies and just like public companies, it's very hard to generalize about 
the potential upside or potential downside of an asset class or a sector, right? Without talking about the specific companies, because in a shakeout, many companies will go under, right? But if you believe in Web3, there will be some really good companies that come out of that, right? Right. The same thing goes for the private markets and the same thing goes for the public markets. Now, that's a big argument every time we go through this wave of technology is that things will shake out and you end up with the good use cases and it might be one-tenth of the first wave, but eventually that becomes the foundation of the next wave of technology. So you look at me making the case for NFTs and web. So, so my, work here, my work here is done. <laughs> I think we made progress here. I got you to admit some things. You got me to admit some things. You know, a hundred percent. This is good. like this is how discourse. This is this was is intended to, to occur, right? Yes, sir. So, um, uh, you know, one of the interesting. I want to just maybe we end here. One of the interesting things um, that happened, I think, at the beginning of the pandemic, is I gave you a call. I was like freaking out, I'm Jason. What's going to happen? The markets are dead, and you told me that you you were ready and you're ready to thrive in the chaos. So. We're back in chaos now. Where do you think the opportunities are? And do you have the same sunny perspective as you did back in March 2020? Well, I, I don't let's be clear. I didn't have a sunny perspective in, in either case, but you know, I, I'm I'm an optimist by nature and I, I um I like to believe things will work out and I like to to bet and invest um my time and money in for the scenario that things work out. Because if they don't, we're all fucked anyway, right? And I think a lot of opportunity comes anytime there are challenges in, in the marketplace, right? This is not a, I'm not the, I didn't come up with this concept, right? Well, mm-hmm. well, I guess it was Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger are always saying, um, be, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And for whatever reason, I've always, I've, I've, gra- I've gravitated toward that and tried to, to act on it. And, you know, if, if, if you bought, Apple when, you know, in 2007, 2008, when it was, you know, pre-split, you know, at, at nine, 70, 80, $90 a share, um, you're, you're up, I think over a thousand percent, 1500 percent by now. Um, if you bought Facebook and when, you know, it, it, it's, it's share price after IPO got cut in half and everyone said it was doomed. Right. And, and social media doesn't work and social media advertising doesn't work. And, um, teens don't use Facebook and, and, and all that, then, you know, you, you've done incredibly, incredibly well. I think you're, you're up 10 X. Um, if you bought at, uh, at the bottom in March of 2020 or, or in and around that bottom, you're still up. You're sitting pretty, you're up a lot, a wild amount, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether you bought crypto or, you know, Even real estate holdings, market indexes, Starwood, yeah. like any any one of these is is right. S and P, you're you're in you're in good shape. You've given a lot back, but to me, that's that's an exciting time. And on on the private side, these are times where companies need support from people who've been through this before. Who built companies during downturns, right? I started my last my first business. Um, in in during the recession because I had graduated from school and and there couldn't get a job anywhere. Right, Lehman Brothers had had just gone under, Bear Stearns had gone under, Madoff had just happened. Right, it's not like you you were walking around New York City like people were trying trying to hire like they are today. Uh, and and so it was an opportunity. And and at the same time, that opportunity led led to brands saying, "Hey, maybe we should we should move some ad spend to social media." Right. And, uh, and so some, you know, traditional advertising got started moving from print to, to social and more, more digital, uh, because of that. And so it was, again, it's another opportunity. I would never look at these times and, and say, um, I'm happy, but I, uh, you have to be prepared for them. They're part of business and you can't get flustered when they happen. And, um, for me, I like, I like to act on it. I feel yeah. best making investments now than I do at the, you at know, the peak, the peak of, of, of the market. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Like the idea that in a recession you invest is makes a lot of sense to me. I started my company in the middle of, you know, the last 
in 2020, like right as the coronavirus started to get bad, uh, just seemed like the right time to do it. So do you have, do you have like two more minutes? I feel like uh, I'd love to hear your uh, story. If you could just tell folks the story of how you started the social media company, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, sure. And we'll let you add sure. So I, I graduated from NYU. The, the world was, was in a good amount of, of chaos. And I was very interested in, in the internet and in the advent of, of social media. And there were two things happening that excited, excited me. One was people were running around the streets of New York City with, with digital cameras, HD video cameras that you could rent for 150 bucks a day. And they were making these beautiful videos and films in, in New York City's a backdrop. They looked a little bit like you know, Woody Allen films without the dolly and, mm-hmm. um, and, and the fancy camera work. And, um, but, but beautiful. And then they were, they were uploading the, the footage onto the hard drives, onto their Final Cut Pro on their, their Mac laptops and, and editing it. And, and that was a democratization of content creation. And obviously, you know, iPhone cameras became better and better. And that, that only went further. And HD cameras, you know, red cameras and Canons got DSLRs got better and better and cheaper and cheaper. And at the same time, um, I'd been working on Wall Street when I was in, over the summer in college and programmatic trading had started to become more and more popular. And um, the same thing was that the same concept was beginning to apply to, to advertising on, on Google. Right, that that um, anyone could buy ads or, or sell ads on their website or um, or eventually apps, and so the democratization of content distribution was occurring. Where previously, if you had made a TV spot or, or a digital video, you had to have a relationship with a big TV network and um, you know buy an ad well in advance and spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, to have that TV ad, ad space or those big billboards. And, and so it just dawned on me that, you know, it would be a good idea to start a company that, that made content, uh, good high end content inexpensively and was able to distribute it, you know, relatively inexpensively versus how it had been done previously. And I didn't know anyone. I'd never worked in, a, in digital media or content or advertising or, or programming of any kind at networks. And I, uh, I went on Craigslist and, um, went to the TV film video section. And just started applying for jobs, and you know there were things like need viral video, need YouTube mm-hmm. like celebrity video, and you know would apply to a hundred jobs a day, and uh, up and down the East Coast, and and get you know one out of a hundred would respond, and and then out of all those, you know one out of every thirty or forty would become a job, and ended up getting uh, so, some some real brands hiring uh, uh, that way. Uh, and, and ended up getting to a million dollars of revenue doing that. And, and then, you know, from there, a hundred million of revenue and 600 employees and in six offices over five years and, and then sold, sold the business to, uh, to, uh, you know, big conglomerate. And then, you know, was excited to get, get to, uh, start an investment business, which had always been my passion from a young age following the stock market. Um, and uh, and lo- loving private investing, where it, it combined my operating experience with um, the, the investing uh, passion. Right. So we've got we've got fifteen people here in the financial district now every day, and are invested in companies like the Spring Hill Company, which is a Maverick Carter and LeBron James Entertainment Studio in Hollywood, who, who we've been working with closely for you know since the beginning of this company. Uh, in, in 2019, and um, Athletic Greens, which is a direct-to-consumer subscription health and wellness product um, that I take every day now, and uh, we're investors in Certified Collectibles Group with, with Blackstone, where, where we um, participated in their buyout, and they grade memorabilia, so coins, paper money, and comic books. Huge business, and that, that's thrived throughout COVID and continues to today. Um, you know, and, and maybe there's some NFT play there in in the future. Um, but but yeah, we've made about 15 of those investments. We invest between 10 million and 50 million dollars per deal, and get you know actively help these growing companies continue to to scale in a healthy way. And and um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Amazing. 
Well, look, Jason. It's been a fun journey. Yeah, that's great. I love the Craigslist thing. I mean, there's sourcefulness there. You know, that's where the oh, demand man. is. Can you and, imagine? Yeah, I'm not even going to yeah. go get into the details, but can you imagine <laughs> some of the interactions that were going on at the time? Jesus. I, I would love to hear those details. <laughs> well, one day. One yeah, day. maybe one day. Um, all right. Well, I'm not going to put a um, board ape profile picture on my Twitter yet, but, um, you know, I, you I appreciate to, the conversation. You have to make me one promise. You have to make me one well, promise. It depends what it is. Let's hear. If you're going to be skeptical yes. or and even open-minded and analytical, mm-hmm. you have a responsibility as a journalist to participate in some of the NFT communities. You have to buy some NFTs. You have to go into Discord. You have to, to sell. You have to interact. You have to understand how it works. You have to play some of the NFT-based games. And and then tell me what you think. Then I have a right to you have new. You, I promise you, you yeah. have much newer and potentially sharper criticisms mm-hmm. when you start when you start experiencing gas fees. Yes, I was about to say I'll do it, but I don't want to spend three thousand dollars for a twenty dollar <laughs> NFT. So, <laughs> you, no, nor should you. Nor should. Yes. You. Okay, it's a deal. Um, it, it's a deal. I will report back on the podcast. Uh, based off of what I find. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Great to chat with you as My always. My pleasure. Really appreciate you being Thanks, here. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Speak to you then. Um, we will have another episode next week with um, Packy McCormick and Austin Reef of Morning Brew, Packy of Not Boring. Just want to say a quick thank you to Nate Guatney for doing the edits, LinkedIn for having me as part of your podcast network, and all of you, the listeners. If this is your first time, please hit subscribe. If you're here from the This Week in Tech podcast, appreciate you joining. Love to hear your feedback. Longtime listeners or first timers, if you want to hit the rating button, that would be terrific. And that will do it for us here this week. We'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Big Technology Podcast.